Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Revelation chapter 12 this morning, and uh, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. And uh, anybody enjoying this, this series? Man, it's so good. Well, well, I guess I say that, but I don't know. you. <laughs> Well, it's the word of God that's good, but it is so good to, to I, God is just confirming and confirming in my heart more and more and more, uh, you know, just what this is all about. And it's so encouraging. Um, so I hope you're being encouraged as well. And uh, we learned last week that there is a cosmic conflict going on in our world today. And, and it started with Satan who stormed the throne of God and attempted to overtake the Lord, which is never a good idea. I don't know if you've ever tried to fight with God. You never win. Uh, he, he'll, you'll lose all the time. So Satan's cast out of heaven uh, as his dominion for, um, you know, he no longer resides in heaven, although we do find that he has the ability to go to heaven and make accusations against us. And so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But we, we kind of got introduced to this idea last week. And uh, Paul's going to, or Paul, John's going to continue on unveiling this cosmic conflict to us and how we can have victory over Satan. So this is a part two message. If you missed last week, go to our website and check it out. You can, you can listen to part one. It'll connect you verses one through six. Give us the definitions of the characters that we're dealing with throughout the rest of the scripture. So stand with me. We're gonna read uh, beginning in chap- Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse seven, where we read, now war arose in heaven Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even until death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water um, like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help, came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who would keep the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, God, as we Uh, consider these verses here relating to the cosmic conflict that is going on around us, Lord, that you would give us insight and understanding to how we practically have victory over Satan, Lord. 
We thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you for the power in your word and for the authority that it, that it speaks into our life. And we now open ourselves to you and ask you to speak to us. And we just ask you to change us. May we not be the same people we were when we came in this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In his book, The Essential Guide to Spiritual Warfare, the late Timothy Warner said, I went to West Africa as a missionary in 1956. My wife and I served in a typical tribal village. We were the only non-Africans in the village. The tribal people were animalists and with a strong belief in the spirit world. When people hear this, they sometimes say to us, I suppose you saw a lot of spiritual warfare out there. My response is, no, I didn't. I wouldn't have recognized it if I had seen it. I was the graduate of a fine Christian college and a, th a theological seminary that majored in teaching the Bible. I also had a further graduate degree from a major American university, but in none of, his, of this education had anyone helped me understand either worldview as a concept, what my own worldview was, or any concept of the worldview of the people with whom I was to minister, I was a typical Westerner. We, we find here Timothy Warner describing something that I think much of the church is missing in their lives, and that is this, a correct worldview. A correct worldview. Everybody in the world has a worldview. It's really defined by this. It's a, really nothing more than a set of presuppositions or assumptions which we hold consciously or subconsciously about the basic makeup of the world. So our worldview is, is being shaped on a continual basis based on the information that we're intaking. So that's why it's so important that we take good information in, right? If you work in the the uh, data input world or you have some sort of software that, that you run in your, your job or something, you know, that, that information in there is crucial to that software because as they say in that world, garbage in, garbage out, right? You can only expect uh, the data in it to do what it's supposed to do if it's right. And that's the same thing with you and I. We're being shaped on a daily basis by information that's incoming. And I'll tell you, actually I don't have to tell you, you know that there's a lot of fake news around. You know that there's a lot of misinformation going on. I mean, we've seen this in the last couple years in our country alone. But it didn't just start then, folks. This has always been going on. The enemy understands that our worldview is going to shape us. It's going to direct and guide us on the things that we allow in our lives or don't allow in our lives, the way that we live on an everyday basis. And so we're being bombarded with all kinds of information that is, or misinformation that is meant to affect our worldview. We have an adversary that is super strategic. He knows exactly why he puts information out in a specific way to help anybody click on those clickbait things. It's like, oh, look at that, click right there. That's how the enemy works. It's like the clickbait of information. We wanna know about who's doing what in Hollywood and who they're dating or not dating or who's getting another divorce and all these sorts of things. None of that has anything to do with you and I on a daily basis, does it? 
And in fact, we love to pass it on though. Isn't that interesting? What does that have to do with your call uh, to, to take the gospel into the world, folks? It is one of these things that we have to guard our minds and hearts with. And I'm gonna give you an illustration, and I'm, it's kind of interesting, but uh, my, my daughter loves to watch baking shows on TV. And we, we watch these cupcake wars, you know, or, you know, the cake bake-offs or whatever they are. And I'm thinking like, dude, I don't need this in my life, but she loves to watch them. So we're watching these things on the TV, and guess what? The next thing I know, I'm rumbling through the pantry looking for cupcakes. <laughs> Why is that, folks? It's because that information is translating into a desire in my heart. It's shaping my worldview. I know cupcakes aren't good for me, and you do too, but man, are they good, you know? Some of you are already going, yeah, the cupcake thing, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so easy for us to get off track. So easy. The information that we're allowing in through the, the portal of our souls is affecting the way that we live our lives. We need to have the correct worldview. And it, it's, it's been said that um, Barna actually came out with a statistic that the, out of evangelicals, only 1% of people who call themselves Christians 1% of people who call themselves Christians who would be considered evangelical, right, um, actually have a biblical worldview. Have a biblical worldview. How do we get a biblical worldview? It's through the Bible. It's not rocket science. It's right here. All we have to do is digest this, take this information in, and let it do what, it, do what it's supposed to do, folks. It will transform your life. The word of God is like a sword and it, it doesn't need our help. We don't even have to understand it for it to affect the way that we live. As it's been said, you know, our worldview is both conscious and subconscious. Things we understand and things we don't. But they all come together in this cosmic concept in our, our minds and it makes uh, it, it, paints, it, it basically directs us in our life and what we're gonna allow and not allow in our lives. Listen, if, if you want to understand uh, how to have victory over Satan, it's gonna start with a biblical worldview. You have to start with a biblical worldview and that means that we have to be committed to the word of God. We need to be committed to the word of God in our lives I know that some people go like, well, the Bible, you know, it's just so hard to understand and all this stuff. Listen, did you know you have a built-in teacher if you're a believer? You have a built-in teacher. His name is the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.27 says that you have a teacher within you that is teaching you what this means. I remember when I first got saved, never having gone to church and, and these sorts of things, I just started opening the Bible. And yes, I do agree that it was somewhat difficult to understand. You know, uh, but, but here's what's amazing about it. It always spoke to me. And the more, I, the more discipline I put into reading the word of God, the more understanding I gained, the more change began to happen in my life. Don't give yourself an excuse. Don't say, oh, I, I, don't, know how, I don't know what to do or, or how to do it or whatever. Just pick the doggone thing up and start reading it and, and the Holy Spirit will teach you 
everything you need to know. And it's an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit is by far the best teacher around, folks. He's the one that inspired these words to be written. He knows exactly how to interpret them and he will speak into your life. He will shape your mind, which is what we need because we're in a spiritual battle. There's things happening all around us all the time and we need the correct filter. Let me go on with this testimony of Timothy Warner. He said, I was well-educated by our Western standards and even by my theological education had even, but even my theological education had not helped me deal with worldviews and especially beliefs about the spirit world. As a result, when I heard the Africans talk about spirit activity, it passed through a filter in my mind called superstition. That is why I have to say I didn't see a lot of spiritual warfare in Africa. It was not because it was not there. It was because my Western worldview prevented me from recognizing it. The problem often went well beyond things the Africans said and did. I, it included the things missionaries said and did. Even missionaries tend to see all problems as problems with only human dimensions. Spiritual warfare was almost never seen as a possible element in the activities and relationships of missionaries, even though those activities and relationships were often very problematic. In our Western worldview, we tend to assume that a demon cannot do anything to a good Christian and that the best thing to do with Satan and demons is to ignore them. We do this in spite of the fact that the Bible never tells us to ignore the devil. That is just where our, our Western worldview has led us. The Bible, on the contrary, tells us to resist the devil. Even the Apostle Paul had a messenger of Satan to torment him, and Satan hindered him from carrying out his plans to visit Thessalonica. Therefore, though the worldview part of our belief system is critically important, and too often the church has given little attention to it. The most logical reason for the church's failure is that Satan has been successful in his deceptions. It's true, folks. This is the reality of a lot of believers in the world today. They have a strong understanding of the Bible theologically in a lot of aspects, but in this particular area, because the enemy has done such a good job on the swinging the pendulum to the other side where there's so much chaos and charismania going on that people just discount spiritual warfare altogether. We talked about it last week and C.S. Lewis talking about, you know, Christians fall into two errors relating to the enemy. One, they don't think enough of him and, and, and others think too much of him. And, you know, we want to have a correct worldview when it comes to the battle that we're in because it will help us navigate through it. We are not looking for a devil behind every corner, but we are also very aware that that is happening around us. And so we need to be vigilant and we need to keep our minds on guard and be prepared for the things that happen. The enemy is in the world working and oftentimes he's working in partnership with you. What do I mean? Partnership with you, just like he did with Peter, remember? Oh Lord, I'll never let you go to the cross and do these sorts of things and whatever. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And I asked you last week, how many times has the enemy used you? Listen, 
if we're well aware of the enemy and his tactics, we'll be well aware when, when he's trying to use us. And it happens far too often. But I'm here to tell you this morning that if we have an accurate worldview relating to the spiritual realm, we will have victory over Satan. You will have victory over Satan because he is already defeated. We're not fighting for victory. We already have it. So we need to have this understanding as we move forward um, in, in, this, in this, uh, the rest of this chapter. Now, if you weren't with us, then you're kind of wondering like the terminology going on here. Who's the dragon and what about this woman and, and then this child being spoken of? Verses one through six give us the definition that help us understand as we move forward into verses you know, seven through 17. So if you weren't here, I'll give you a, a quick breakdown. The dragon is Satan and we get our interpretation from verse nine here that tells us that the dragon is Satan. The woman is the nation of Israel, and you can listen to it last week to understand why. And then uh, thirdly, the child is being spoken of is Jesus. He's the child, and we find this cosmic conflict going on that started in heaven, but made its way on the earth, and how the nation of Israel is the centerpiece of this conflict because the, the, uh, the, the Jesus himself is going to come through uh, the nation of Israel and the enemy wants to stomp him out. He, doesn't, he, want, he wants to kill him and get, him, get rid of him completely. And so he's, he's targeting that. We saw that he was just like literally just waiting for the woman to give birth and we know that that was the case. You read the account was Herod immediately. Kill all the children, two and below. That's satanic. Judas implanted it within the 12, and Satan filled him. And he went to give him away for 30 pieces of silver. That was satanic, folks. The religious leaders, crucify him, all of the multitude that he probably fed somewhere along the line that were also, by the way, just literally five days prior to this, screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna from the highest, the same people. That's how, that's how deceptive the enemy is. He can sway you from one minute to the next. These same people, Jesus was crucified. Little did the enemy know Whoa, I done messed up, Aaron. I am, I just got, I just got killed myself. I just de got defeated myself by killing the, 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 the child that was being born through the nation of Israel. Why? Because he's the Messiah, the savior of the world. And it, well, he, you know, he under, dude, he understood the sacrificial system and the reason why it was in place. Like Satan is super, uh, super versed on the scriptures far more than you and I are. And he understood the sacrificial system and what it was meant to do. That's why he was constantly trying to, in some way, shape, or form, delude it. Get the people focused on the wrong thing, just like he does with church today. Checking it off the box or whatever the case might be. Oh, I'll just go there and I'll buy my sacrifice from the religious leaders who are just making business out of this situation and, and it has nothing to do with the sacrifice being um, you know, biblical in, it, in, in, in its offering, but it's because we wanna fleece the flock, right? Satanic. It's the way it works, folks. We are in a major war and God wants to give us insight on how to overcome this enemy. 
So there's three things that I wanna share with you this morning as we move forward in verses seven through 17 relating to victory over Satan. The first thing is that we, we see that uh, persistence is required. Persistence is required, verse seven here. Now, war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the, and the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So John, you know, understanding having the veil being pulled back relating to the cosmic conflict that's going on now goes into a, a, another situation that happens that, that hasn't happened yet. Some people come to um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, and they say, oh, this is past tense. This is his, this historical. It's already been fulfilled. It has not been fulfilled. This is midway through the tribulation period. There is a casting out of the devil midway through the tribulation period, and we'll see, um, we'll see it in our text because it talks about a time and times and a half a time. That's three and a half years, folks. That's the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. This is mid-trib when this happens. This has not happened yet. And we know it's not happened yet because we know that the enemy still makes accusations as of this day. Once this happens, the enemy has no ability to go before the throne of God and make accusations, which are highly accurate relating to us, by the way, probably, but then Jesus standing as the advocate says, no, no, it is accurate. He did that, but I paid the price. Yeah, yeah, she is that way, but I paid the price. Jesus standing in the gap for us constantly while the enemy tries to tear us down in heaven. So John's seeing this now. He sees this, this, this battle uh, being, being prepared to come. And uh, what, what's amazing to me as I read this is that this isn't the first time Satan's tried this. This is not the first time he's tried to go into heaven and overthrow the kingdom of God. Uh, he's done it before and he got cast out again. Why does he think that this is going, and that he's gonna have any ability to do this again? Because he's highly persistent, that's why. He's extremely persistent. I know you know this personally, how persistent the enemy is in your life. He knows your weaknesses and he just targets them and he throws the carrot out at you and if you'll pay attention, you'll be able to squash it before it becomes a problem. If you, there's a, there's a book out there called um, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. I encourage you to read it. It talks about the ability to identify sin um, you know, far before it literally takes root in your heart and you it physically manifests itself. So in other words, James you know, chapter one talking about the cycle that we go through when we, we get, we're enticed by a desire. That's the flesh. The enemy just entices. The flesh wants that desire. So the enemy targets a scenario. You ever notice how you're like, I don't really struggle with that and you don't have those kind of temptations? Hello? Because he knows that. Why would he tempt you in areas that you don't struggle with? because you're not gonna fall, but he does very persistent in areas that you do struggle with. And he does present opportunities to you, you know? And you have to identify the things that, the seeds that are being sown in your life so that you can get rid of them. And, and in this book, it talks about being able to identify that moment when that enticement comes. If you squash that enticement, sin cannot manifest itself in your life. 
And the Holy Spirit gives us the insight to do it. You know why I know this? Because I've done it and I've seen it. The Lord has given me clear insight to that. I wish I would be perfect at it, but I'm not. But I'm telling you, some of you are stuck in an area in your life and you're thinking like, why do I keep falling into this? Pay attention. Pay attention to the things that are happening, not just in that moment, but a week or two weeks before that and maybe it was a thought that you gave way to and the next thing you know, uh, it, it, it manifests itself three weeks later. Pay attention and you'll notice this kind of stuff. So John is seeing this, this moment where this battle will now take place midway through the tribulation period. The enemy being persistent, knowing that he will fail in this, still yet comes to heaven, he raises a war, and God doesn't even at this point battle him himself. God says, hey, Michael, go do my light work for me. Will you, will you go take care of my light work for me? Some of us in this room think that Satan is the, um, the, the counter um, equal to God. He is not. Satan is the counter equal to Michael. Satan is not the counter equal to God. God, Satan. Michael is on the same level. They're both created beings is what I'm saying. Now some people think that Michael is Jesus. Michael is not Jesus. Jesus created Michael. How can he be Michael? Jesus is creator. The reason why they say that, actually, you might get a knock on the door sometime and uh, you know, a Jehovah Witness might come up to your door and you say, hey, I wanna talk to you about Jesus. And you say, you mean Michael? And they're like, uh-huh. And then you say, well, actually, he's not Michael. He's, he's the creator of Michael, in case you were wondering. But uh, you know, he's, he is the creator. And, uh, but, but they say that because they say, well, you know, Michael and his angels were fighting Satan. And it says his angels. That doesn't mean that he, they're his literal creation, folks. It just means that Michael is an archangel, that he has a, 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 you know, some sort of band of angels that are underneath him that he is governing over, but he is, Jesus is not Michael. But nevertheless, the Lord says, Michael, you handle this. Now, this isn't the first time that Michael and Satan have had a showdown. It's interesting because you know, we're talking about the woman here being the nation of Israel. Isn't it interesting that Michael, we find in, Revelation, or in Daniel chapter 12, that he is actually seems to be the guardian over the nation of Israel. And, and it's Michael now who is coming to war against Satan. And because Michael has been uh, placed in that position over the nation of Israel, my guess is that they've contended over the nation of Israel quite a few times. Uh, you know, in case you don't, under, don't know, uh, you know, it, it, the history of the nation of Israel, they've been persecuted and oppressed very much. And uh, the enemies tried to wipe them out from day one. And yet they have an angelic host who stands over their nation, who battles the enemy. Not only do we have that account, but we also have an account of Michael contending over the body of Moses um, and, and Jude, Jesus' brother, records that for us. In, in, verse Jude, in uh, Jude verse nine, we find that he, he, Michael is contending with Satan over the, um, the body of Moses, and it's interesting how he contends with him. And I think it's important that we understand this, that, that 
Michael doesn't come to Satan in his own power. He doesn't, he doesn't he's, he's the equal, you know, counter equal to uh, Satan, but he doesn't come in his own power. Notice what he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. And I think that, that there's some framework that we need to understand in this. I would say just as much as people have a misunderstanding or an incorrect worldview relating to the spiritual realm in general and the realness of Satan or whatever, um, people also have, a mis, have, a, have an incorrect worldview relating to the authority that we have in Christ. And so we, if we come to Satan, you know, popping out our chest saying, I have authority, bye-bye. You're, 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 you've lost the battle already. If you come in the name of Jesus and you come in the power of the blood of Christ, you've already won. You see the difference? I'm gonna show you, Satan. Bye-bye. Satan, I'm coming in the name of the Lord by the power of the blood of Christ and it's bye-bye to him, right? We, 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 we have to understand this. Michael has a perfect understanding of the spiritual realm. He's in the spiritual realm and he doesn't stand against Satan and try and contend with him on his own. Listen, I, I think it's crazy, but when I, when I uh, back like in the early, mid, mid 80s or something, some of you are like, yeah, that was my time. But mid 80s, you, uh, you know, there was a, a Christian artist that in his songs, a few of his songs actually, he like was calling out the demonic realm. Like, come on, Satan. I want to take you on, and, and literally, no, no, no joke, and I'm thinking like, that's not biblical. That's not biblical at all, and in fact, you'll never, listen, you'll never see Jesus calling out Satan, looking for him to fight him. What you will see is Jesus surrendered to the will of God, walking the path that the, the Lord has for him, that the Father has for him, and as he encounters the enemy, he overcomes him, but he's not looking for him. Some of us spend way too much time trying to fight the, the spiritual battle by puffing our chest out and saying, I'm gonna find you. We don't need to find him, he's here. He's working, he's already at work. We need to be focused on the will of God in our life, and when we encounter these spiritual battles, we recognize them, and then we come in the power in the name of Jesus, not in our own. Michael doesn't fight this battle on his own. He fights the battle. The Lord rebuke you. Remember those words. Uh, you, you know, here, here we find in this moment as Michael and, and Satan contend in heaven that Satan loses. Shocker. There will no longer be any place for them in heaven. So in this moment, the, the angelic host that followed Satan and Satan himself are then cast out for um, all of eternity, no longer to ever come into the, the, the heavenly realm again. But you know what? He still doesn't quit, folks. He's still persistent. He still pursues. He still goes on and on and on and on and on. It's crazy. He's not a quitter. And you know what? He, even though he understands he's defeated, he still presses forward. How much more should we, as those who are standing in a place of victory, be persistent in what we're called to? 
be persistent in overcoming the enemy in the spiritual realm in various ways. Listen to what the word of God says about overcoming the enemy. Ephesians chapter six, verse 13, you know the verse. Paul just gets done saying, hey, we're in a spiritual battle. We, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers or rulers of darkness and, and such. And then he goes on in verse thing, and he says, um, withstand the enemy. And then he goes on to say, stand firm in the armor of God. And, you know, he tells us this is how we're going to find victory over the enemy is to withstand him and to stand firm. James chapter four, verse seven, we're to resist the devil, listen, by submitting to God. It's through our submission to God that we, that we are going to be able to uh, resist the devil. And of course, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, Peter tells us, instructs us to be sober-minded and watchful. That means we are to be vigilant and aware that this spiritual, this war is going on. We're to be watchful about it. We're to be sober-minded. We're not to be deceived into thinking that it's not, that it doesn't exist. Um, but we are to be aware of the war that we're in and the enemy that we have who is like a, pro, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter goes on to say, thus we stand firm in our faith. Stand firm in your faith. What is your faith in? If your faith is in something other than Jesus, you will not stand firm. If your faith is in yourself or some hocus pocus, you know, gadgets that you bought that are like, I'm gonna go get the demon caster outer, you know, kit, and I, hey, go, go on Amazon and order that this right after this service, but uh, don't do that. But, um, and you, uh, you know, you're putting your faith in something else other than Jesus, you will be toppled. He, he says that we find, we find our ability to stand firm in our faith, and our faith should be in Jesus Christ alone. Not in ourselves, but in Jesus himself. He goes on to say, if we do that, we will overcome the enemy. Did you notice anything about those verses? You can write them down, look them up later. But I want you to take note that every one of those verses is defensive in nature. It's not offensive, it's defensive. What do I mean? We're not looking for the war. We're already in it, but we have ways to overcome it, but we're not actively out looking. Does that mean we aren't to be proactive? Uh Uh-uh. No, no, we're to be persistent in these things, but also persistent in a different way. We are to be persistent in attacking the enemy, not directly, but indirectly. What I mean is, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, or that talk about the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. If you want to be on the offensive in the spiritual battle, that's how you do it. You go into the world and you steal people away from the enemy because there are only two camps. You're either for God or you're against him. If you're for God, that means you have a right relationship with Christ and that he has a right relationship with you and that he's for you as much as you're for him, right? So it's kind of a full circle thing. If you're against God, that means that you are on Satan's team. I know some people think like, well, I choose to be uh, in the neutral ground. It doesn't work that way. You're either for me or against me. There is no other alternative. I choose to not participate 
Sorry, you're participating. You're on Satan's team. So, if you want to be proactive as a Christian, then you need to be evangelistic. You need to, to be a, a, someone who's looking to make disciples. And do you not think that uh, that's why the enemy has targeted evangelism in the church so much and tried to strip it from people's lives? Oh, you don't wanna tell people about Jesus. You know, it's a little uncomfortable. You know, people don't wanna hear about their sin and these sorts of things. Oh, they do, actually. They do, just as much as your child wants you to put structure in their life so that they can, you know, feel, you know follow life. They, they shouldn't, they, they need that. And the world needs to understand where they sit, you know, with the Lord. If you don't go into the world and you don't tell the people around you that God has put in your place uh, kind of the truth, are you really, do you really love them? How could you love somebody if you don't tell them the truth? You can't. You know, you wanna, um, you wanna be effective against the enemy? You angry with the spiritual war that's going on in your life? Then be proactive and go out and make some disciples and, and, and strip people from his flock. Strip people from his flock and take people away from, um, from him because they are spellbound, folks. They're spellbound. They, they're, they're totally deceived. They don't even know it. And you might be the voice of reason for that person. You might be the, 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 the instrument that God wants to use in that moment to say, hey, listen, this is the reality of life. Most people don't want to think about it. And that's why we're called to remind people that death is going to come for everyone one day. And that's the truth. Where are you going to reside in eternity? That's my testimony. That's how I got saved. Because... It, I started thinking about dying. What the heck happens when you die? Man, if, if there's a spiritual realm, then this, is, this gets, it gets real, real very quickly because 10 out of 10 people die. There's no getting around that. And if the Bible's true, then I wanna put my faith in, in, in what it says. And somebody else may need to hear that from you. And God has prepared those conversations you know, and some of us are desperately saying, Lord, I want to give that conversation like in 10 minutes when I get done here. I want to go tell this loved one about him. And maybe that's not the one he's calling you to. Maybe he'll send somebody else into their path, you know, and we can put faith in that and trust the Lord with our most intimate relationships and people because he loves them way more than you do. But, but the reality of it is, is that you want to, we want to, the gospel is the, is the enemy's kryptonite, folks. You want to, that is our proactive approach. That is the sword that will slay the dragon. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it makes the impact. So we find here that we're to be persistent in, you know, defensively, but also offensively. We're to be persistent in these things just as much as the enemy is persistent in us. He, he's the great dragon who was thrown down and the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world and his angels, and he's already defeated. And we need to remind him of that on a daily basis by being persistent in what we're called to be. Secondly, we need to under, walk in the power that we've been given. Uh, verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation of the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. 
and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Satan, after being cast out of heaven here, John hears a loud voice in heaven making this declaration. Now salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. Now it's come. Now it's come. Now the enemy, in other words, there's a praise session that breaks out in heaven in this moment because everybody in heaven understands this is the, sort of the final act in heaven that will go down. When the enemy coming, being cast out, now, now we know that, you know, the proclamation was already made. We talked about that in uh, chapter 11, I think, um, about the, the kingdom of God coming into the world, and, and we knew that was coming, but now it's like the double confirmation. Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. The accuser is no longer allowed in heaven. He's been cast out. He can no longer make accusations day and night before the Lord. We have salvation. We have salvation from the deception of the enemy, power to overcome him uh, through Jesus Christ. And nothing's going to stand in the way of his coming, folks. Not Satan, not any demon. Nothing can stop uh, the Lord from coming with salvation and power in his kingdom, nothing at all. And when he makes accusations, as he's been making accusations, you know, the Lord stands in the gap for you and he uh, makes intercession for you. But the enemy knows at this point he's defeated completely, completely defeated. And so we'll see his response here in a moment. But I wanna focus specifically on the power um, that we've been given in Christ. I want to frame it though in the context of the passage because I think it's important. When you take a scripture and you, know, you, you take it out of its context and apply it, you can apply it incorrectly. And I think to be honest, I think that's happened a lot with this scripture. I think a lot of people have plucked this scripture out of its context and then they've said, well, you're just not trusting Jesus enough or you don't believe in the blood, of the blood of the lamb enough or you don't this or you don't that. I want to frame it correctly. The context of this passage when it says they and their is talking about the nation of Israel. It's talking about the woman and, the, and those who come to Christ in this moment. They because he's gonna turn away and go after everybody else here in a moment. I'll, I'll show that to you. But he, the context of this is believers in the tribulation period, specifically those who are in the nation of Israel. Okay, and he's saying that they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Notice it's by the blood of the lamb that they conquer him. It's not by the word of their testimony, then the blood of the lamb. It's the blood of the lamb and then the word of the testimony because without the blood, there is no testimony. Without the blood of Christ, you have no power. The power is in the blood. We sing it all the time. There's power, wonder-working power in the blood of the lamb. The power is in the blood of Jesus. That's why we don't stand on our own. We stand in the blood of Christ because that's where the power resides. Um, and so we need to understand that first, that it's, it's the, 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 the element where we find the power is found only 
and only in the blood of Jesus Christ, number one. And it's the word of their testimony, they who became believers in the tribulation period, probably Jewish, they, it's their testimony, uh, they're, 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 it's the word of their testimony that they overcome the enemy. And the, the point of it is, is that they're reminding themselves and everybody else around them of the power in the blood of Jesus. We, we've said this over and over and over again, but, the, but it's, the, it's the blood of the martyrs that's the seed of the church. You've heard that. And if the church wasn't persecuted in Jerusalem, they probably would have never left there. They probably would have stayed there and became some small sect of Judaism. But God used the persecution of the dragon to push the church outside of Jerusalem and, and by the way, it was through the Jews even, the persecution of the church by, by way of a man named Saul who became the Apostle Paul. Right? He pushed the church outside of the, the church would have never gone anywhere, in other words. And, and when, we, when we go out and we're, we find ourselves in those difficult situations and stuff like that and, and we remind people of what Christ has done in our life, the testimony that he has given us we remind people that, you know, it's only by Christ that we can do the things that we, we can do. We can overcome the things that we come in. The world is watching us. When we, when we do that, we're leaving, um, we're, we're conquering the enemy in the sense that he's revealing, God is revealing himself to other people through you. And, you know, and it happens all the time, all around us, all in your life, all the time. You're in the office and you're going, man, how, how do you, how you deal with the situation and you're reminded, it's only by Christ that I can do what I'm doing. I, I don't, you know, and oh, enduring the, the hardships that you're enduring or whatever. Without the blood of Christ though, there is no testimony. And so I think it's interesting that it says though that they loved not their lives even unto death. And I think that's the key to understanding this, this, this passage here. Because sometimes we have the, the, the understanding that we're, we're gonna have victory over the enemy in every situation. And if we don't get what we want, we didn't pray hard enough, believe hard enough, or something of that matter. I didn't apply the blood hard enough, or I didn't pray enough, or, or this or that. I got cancer and I prayed and I died from it. Did you overcome the enemy? Or did the enemy overcome you? It's tricky. It's super tricky. They did not love their lives unto death. The people that this is being spoken of will give their lives up for Christ in this moment. That's why their testimony is gonna be so powerful. And the fact that they overcome the enemy here in this moment, it's not because they don't die. I think sometimes we have the perception that Oh, if I overcome the enemy, my life will be right and there'll be no hardship or anything like that. that. That's not the true application of this passage, folks. The true application of this passage is you overcome the enemy even if you die. You've still overcome him. It's, it has nothing to do with your circumstances. You know, and sometimes we get so hyper-focused on the circumstance that we lose the reality that we've, we're in the victory. We're already in the victory. Sometimes God doesn't want to take you out of that situation. 
Sometimes God wants you to endure through that situation. He wants you to, so that he can use it as a testimony to somebody somewhere down the line. Second Corinthians chapter one, read it later. God is going to comfort you in a way that you can comfort others. But, but here's my point. The, in the, the concept of having victory over the enemy does not mean that you're not going to die. It does not mean that you're not going to, that, that everything's gonna turn out rosy for you. And I think, to be honest, that's, the church has framed that in this way. When you think about spiritual warfare and such, here's what I know. Paul said in, first, uh, in Philippians 1.21, I know this because this is my life verse, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Wait a second. We just flip the script on death. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a believer. Do you know that? I, I hate, I, it's gonna sound super insensitive, but, but just follow me on this. Death is actually the best thing that can happen to a believer. And the reason why is because you're delivered from your fallenness completely, and you're in heaven. God says that he, God longs for your death. It's kind of weird, I know. God longs for your death because he hates to see you in your fallenness. You know that? He's gonna use all of the stuff that's going on in your life, but he longs for you to be made perfect. He wants you to be in his presence. And in as much as we are reconciled to the Father, it, it is complete in the spiritual realm, but it is not complete physically yet. And one day, whether you go to be with him through death or you go to be with him you know, through the rapture, which I'm praying for, I don't know, but um, you'll be with him physically forever. You know, these guys didn't love their lives so much that they weren't, that they weren't uh, unwilling to, to give it over for the Lord. And in that is the power of their testimony. The blood of the lamb is the delivery agent, their sacrifice in the willingness to give over their, uh, their, their own selves is the seed that God uses to draw their people to himself. That is the, that is the um, most selfless act a person can do, to stand for Christ in the moment. Paul, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you can read a bunch of people who did that and how it affected even the persecutors in those moments, how they came to Christ in that moment. Don't have the perception that, you know, when we're talking about conquering the enemy, that it means it's gonna work out the way that you think it is. You already have victory over him. You do. But the Lord may be doing something in the middle of it. That's why we surrender to him. Tell him, whatever you wanna do, Lord, my life is yours. It's in your hands. And if you can't do that, he's not your Lord, period. It says that. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be, be my disciple. And he's not saying literally hate them. You know that. He's just saying he's gotta be the most important thing in your life. More important... Some, of, some people are in sin here because their kids are more important than Jesus. I'm just saying. Some people, their spouses are way more important than Jesus. Your relationship with somebody is more important than the Lord, and that's called idolatry. 
And, and the Lord doesn't, he wants to redeem you from that, for, get, you know, cause you to uh, get rid of that because it's hindering your relationship with him. And he wants to be in full relationship. If he's your Lord, then everything else in your life will be paralleled to that. Everything else in your life will be exactly the way he wants it. So you just gotta answer that question yourself. But, but the Lord wants us to overcome the enemy, but it may not be the way that we think. You know? But we do it the same way, through the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. Stand firm. Be willing to give up your life for the Lord. That's how we do it. Uh, Paul goes on here to talk about us, or John talking to us about the final thing, which is the protection that we need through this process. But woe to you, second part of verse 12, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had uh, given birth to the male child. But the woman has given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to weep her away with a flood, but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river and the dragon was poured out from his mouth. So here we know after Satan's cast out, he knows he has a short time. So he's gonna come at the world with everything that he has, with great wrath. With great wrath, he's gonna come into the world, but it's controlled wrath. The Lord is in control of, of, of the wrath that comes down on this earth. But in this moment, halfway through the tribulation period, he will come down on, on, the, on those who believe in Christ so hard that you won't be able to survive it. That's why Jesus said if they didn't cut the day short, no one would survive. Right here in this moment, we'll talk about this in probably two weeks, but the mark of the beast is going to be inserted right here. Somewhere three and a half years into the tribulation period after the Antichrist breaks the peace treaty with Israel, now the only way, and when you take the mark of the beast, folks, it's not accidental. It's not an accidental thing. You're intentionally surrendering yourself to the beast, to the beast, you're aligning and, and, and pledging your allegiance to the beast. It's not, some, it's not a vaccination, although it could be something that they use in that way. It's not, it's not present here right now in this moment. It's not like you go get a COVID vaccination and you're like, oh my gosh, I took the mark of the beast. No, you didn't. You did not. And that's nonsense. But listen, the technology being used in there, yeah, maybe. Maybe what I know, when you take the mark of the beast, and we'll get into this heavily, but you're gonna know exactly what you're doing. It will not be an accident. So many Christians walk around in fear, thinking like I, they're gonna accidentally stumble over the mark of the beast and be like, oh! Listen, you're, that's not gonna happen. That is not going to happen. You're gonna intentionally take this, and it will be an allegiance to a system. It's gonna be an allegiance to a system that is being ran and you're gonna recognize it. That's why the church has to be gone because if we're not, we'll fully recognize all the deceptive things that are going on and we'll just go, no, that's Satan, that's Satan, that's Satan. It does not make sense any other way, folks. But in this moment, the enemy is going to target uh, the nation of Israel hard. He's gonna come after the nation of Israel 
hard with great wrath. Like you think the Holocaust was bad? He's gonna come after the nation of Israel like, like they've never seen before, but God will protect them. And people you know, apply this in a lot of different ways. The woman who had been given birth to the, the male child of the nation of Israel is being rescued by this great eagle. People, oh, well that's a plane, you know, and it's people, the plane coming in to swoop them out. I don't think so. This is biblical language. I think everything that's being spoken of here is supernatural. I think it's supernatural. I think to take it any other way would be conjecture. You know, we've seen these things before supernaturally in the scriptures. In the Egyptian captivity, when Moses stood against Janies and Jambres, there were supernatural things that were happening. And there'll be supernatural things that are happening here. And actually, specifically, the, the great eagle, I think, is the Lord himself just protecting them, bringing them under her wings. It says in Exodus chapter 19, verses four, uh, verse four there, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. It was the Lord who took them out of the, 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 out of the land of Egypt, but he didn't do it by an airplane, but he talks about an eagle. I think it's just a supernatural protection that the Lord puts over the nation of Israel. The enemy is gonna pour out water um, like a river from his mouth to pursue the woman, to flood her out, you know, and, and all these sorts of things. But God is going to open the earth up. Why wouldn't we take that literally? We read about that in the Old Testament. We read about God, oh, you know, in the, in the wilderness where he opens up the ground and he swallows Korah and all of his camp because they, they stood against Moses. They were, there was division in the camp and God swallowed these people up by simply opening the ground up. You know, he's going to open the ground up and swallow whatever it is that the, 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 this raging river of water that the enemy is bringing against them. And check this out, at some point the enemy knows he loses. So he turns his sights from the nation of Israel in verse 17, and then the dragon becomes furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea, which goes to, the, to chapter 13. But God is going to protect the nation of Israel for the last three and a half years. Um, and, and then the enemy's gonna be so frustrated because of his protection over her that he's gonna turn to anyone else who's a believer, all of her offspring. The nation of Israel is the offspring of salvation to you and I. They're the, they're the ones that the Lord says salvation is gonna come through this nation. And so in a sense, you know, they, we have a connection with the, nation, with the nation of Israel as believers today. You know, and I think Paul talks about that a little bit in Romans chapter nine through 11. You can read about it later, but, um, but he's gonna go after the offspring here who I believe to be all believers, those who keep the commands of God, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so he, he, he's gonna go after them, and guess what? Some m majority of those people are gonna give their lives up for the Lord in the tribulation period. They will. They will. That's the price of, of uh, believers will pay in the tribulation. They'll pay with their lives just like they did in the beginning. Just like when the church was formed, folks. People paid, uh, you know, with their lives so that this gospel could go forward. And people will continue to pay for their lives. People are paying for their lives right now all over the place. But there'll be nothing, no persecution to the believers in the world 
that's ever happened in comparison to what will go on in these last three and a half years of this tribulation period. That's why if you're not in a right relationship with Christ, you need to do that. You need to come to Christ, not because you know, you, you, you wanna, you, you're gonna you know, wanna try and get out of you know, experiencing this, but because it's the right thing to do, because God loves you, and he wants to be in a right relationship with you. And uh, so, you know, some, some folks in the church today are deceived, like Timothy Warner once was, thinking like, oh, Satan can't come against me. I'm a good Christian, and that's a deception. We, we don't need to think that way. That's an incorrect worldview. But what we do need to understand is that we have everything we need to overcome him. We have everything we need. We have the faith, which is a gift to us from God, not even of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. Our faith in Christ to withstand him. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us to empower us, to live, you know, to, to withstand the enemy in these moments. We have the gospel, which is our sword that we take into the world and we become offensive against the enemy. We have everything that we need, but we need to be persistent. We need to walk in the power that we're, we've been given. We need to understand the protection that we have in Christ. You know, that, that even though your life might be, <laughs> you might give your life up, listen, it's, it's gain in, in the end, in the big scheme of things. And I know that's hard to think about, but think about that for a minute. So we need to run to the Lord, stand behind our Father, and he will fight the battle for us. That is how we have victory in over Satan. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we just ask you, Lord, to help us to apply the things that we've learned this morning, Lord, as we consider the enemy and his tactics and the things that he's doing in our lives. We pray, Father, that you just give us strength to endure, Lord, the, the hardships that we might find ourselves in this morning, but you give us the power, Lord, to walk in, in these things, and we do pray for reprieve and for for your Holy Spirit to give us insight and direction to the things that we're dealing with. But we, we ultimately pray your will be done, Lord, because we know your will is best. And we ask you, Lord, as we move forward in this time of communion now, that you just draw our hearts to yourself. We pray, Lord, as we um, think about the redemption that's been given, Lord, the sacrifice through the, the, your son Jesus and his sinless life, and his willingness to, to lay his life down that we might be reconciled to you, Lord. We just pray that you help us, Lord, to be encouraged this morning to know that if we're in your hands, we're in good hands, that nothing can take us from your hands, and that we, have, uh, we can have comfort and peace through all the circumstances that we find ourselves in, Lord. We thank you for your word and just for how you use it in our lives and we pray you continue Lord as we uh, just spend a few minutes here being reminded of what you've done for us and as we continue to pray if there if you're here this morning you don't have a relationship with the Lord uh, this is the time to do that these guys are going to come forward pass out the communion elements and uh, you don't want to partake of this uh, if you're not in the right relationship with Jesus this is a believer's meal it's for believers if you're not a believer and you don't want to become a believer, don't take it. It's, it's that simple. You know, this is something that we're being reminded of. It was Jesus' perfect body that was given up for us and sacrificed his blood that was poured out for us. And, and it's, a, it's a sincere moment that we come and we recognize, thank you, Lord, 
for what you've done. But for us here as believers, it's that moment where we recognize the power of the blood of Christ, that he can wash all our sins away, that it doesn't matter where we find ourselves today, that his blood is enough. It's the detergent that scrubs us completely white. And um, if you don't have that relationship, you can come to Christ right now. And just in a simple prayer to him, you can just turn away from your sin. It's called repentance. And you can turn to Jesus and you just reach out to him with sincerity and you just pray that you, Lord Jesus, I come and turning away from my life, Lord, and I turn to you this morning. And I want to be reconciled. And I want to be washed clean this morning of my sin. And I ask you, Lord, to, to just change me. I believe in the cross and that you died for me and that you rose again from the dead for me so that I could be saved and be reconciled to you. And I put my trust and my hope in you even right now. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.